with the ground noise but I'm gonna support your need to... it's the thing I do I'm with sorry. my eyebrows okay. Before... when I do it right yeah but you know what else Um, yeah so this episode of the podcast we're gonna be doing uh, another quest workshop that episode seemed to get a lot of buzz so I think it's time to go and do another one but I'm, I'm looking at this uh, set of dice that uh, Ryan <laughs> has provided me since I left oh it's the busted one thank it, you Chessex it sure is the busted one uh, um so, those of you who didn't listen to the first one of these episodes, we just look at the Dungeon Master's Guide, we go through the random quest section, and we kind of just noodle around and try to think of every possible way we can make a quest out of it, uh, all the while focusing on things like replayability and whatnot. But, you know, I'm looking at this die, and it is it's wrecked. But what's awesome is that only the number one is wrecked, so you'll never get that really low number. You know? Um, so on that note, uh, yeah, so we're going to get kicking with this one. So since last time we did uh, a dungeon goal, I think it's only necessary that this time we rock out a wilderness goal. So to begin, um, the point of these episodes where we're going to be doing quest workshops is just, I guess, to get juices flowing in DM's heads and get people thinking about possible games they could do. I mean, if you find one idea you like, roll with it. If you like the entire idea and you want to just copy it for yourself, uh, send me a check in the mail for about uh, $5 because I wrote your game for you and I don't deal with cheapskates. But additionally, uh, take what you will and enjoy the ride. So none of this is scripted, by the way, so this this could end up, uh, well, about as good as a, a D8 with the one blown out of it. Which is actually kind of good. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess I have... as well. Yeah, I guess I got higher hopes than I thought. <laughs> um... <laughs> So on that note, Ryan, if you will, would you be a deer and roll a d20? First roll of the evening, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? That's a solid tree. 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 Yes, he he rolled a tree. See, this d20 is really interesting. And then it actually, it's a picto one. It's It's got a picture of a tree with three branches because, yeah, no, it's, it's the number three. So number three, uh, the wilderness goal is the party has to escort an NPC to a destination. So I have encountered this style of, of game a lot more than I'd like to admit. You know, I don't I don't know if it was just because, uh, shout out to my friend D-Phil, um, when we were kids and we were first really playing the game and we started it in like uh, early high school, we, we had a few games where it involved, like, you know, escorting a very important person who bad guys wanted to get to and good guys also wanted, but just so they could keep it under wraps. And the party was stuck in between both groups. And, oh, man, the nostalgia is so prime right now. But 
the idea of escorting an NPC to one location is is just I think one that's really really neat for D&D because it's so capable of being social because there's so many vibes and feelings that come into it the idea of like you know if you're escorting an NPC that implies something it implies there's some level of danger to that NPC to the point that they need a party of heroes to be able to take them there so I mean, first thing that comes to mind just because of my experiences is that you're escorting a person of supreme importance who for political or social reasons is wanted dead or alive by some other group. And you guys are acting as something of like a secret sort of like hidden away, sneak them on the dangerous, but, you know, quiet path to the safe land, you know? And so are there any other reasons you can think or, or uh, I guess, things that could provide danger to an NPC that they would need an escort, right? Yeah, I mean, besides just them being someone of importance, they could always have an item that is highly coveted by another person that needs to be protected, so it's more the person is just carrying the item, Yeah. but uh, they themselves are not of importance, and maybe the party doesn't even know that. Maybe they are hired on to just bring this guy from point A to point B, and they have no idea why people would be targeting him. Um, you could also go with um, merchants. Merchants are always great for these kind of things. Uh, you have to think that whoever you're going to be bringing from point A to point B, if it's the classic adventurers kind of thing, is they can pay all of you, your entire party, well enough that you'll actually do it if you're not a bunch of good Samaritans and are just you know, helping a lost boy get from his wherever he wanted off to sure. to back to his hometown stuff like that but i mean maybe it is maybe it's just some village child who wandered too far out and somehow hadn't gotten himself killed yet you stumble across him in the woods and now you have to bring him and now you have to kill him yeah now, now you have to do what nature couldn't and that is your job as an adventurer is to do the things that nature won't yeah we're escorting the npc in a body bag yeah um we're escorting him straight to hell you know, what's it, yeah, that little boy was doing a lot of bad things that he needed. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but what's interesting that it comes to mind is thinking instead, because you mentioned, you know, a lot of times the people who are escorting you can offer payment. Have you ever, like, think about it this way. What if you're to write quests, but start with the reward? So a lot of the times when I'm writing adventures, I try to think of, like, something kind of badass or something for a later game and think, how can I tie this into it? So I was thinking to myself, like, you know, you right there just mentioned, like, if we're expecting the party needs money for some reason. Let's just say the party needs to pay a town to, I don't know, buy a deed to some manor because there's something buried underneath it. So the party has to get money. Well, then that makes sense that the quest hook would be let's ha find out how to get money. So it's interesting to think of quests based on their reward rather than, like, you know what I mean? Like any precursors or monsters or yeah. anything like that. Form an adventure around the magic sword that you'll get. So, um, yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe we're good to go into the next step. I think the only other thing I want to talk about about the idea of escorting an NPC is the idea of like, you know, not to, not to bring up literature too much in this, but the idea of trusting a narrator is something that's like, kind of like a hallmark of quote unquote, you know, high literature and, and, you know, books and movies and things that kind of challenge you and make you think twice about what you're reading about, which I guess in retrospect is not high literature, and a lot of people in high literature look down their noses at that kind of thing. But I do think 
there is something to be said about not trusting a narrator or an unreliable source of information. If you're escorting that child through the woods and they themselves are behaving in a way that's kind of erratic and strange and that child says that they were actually lost, but like what happens if it's actually like some demon that happened to possess a child and they were on their way to some burial site for their body or some cult or something like that trying to get like, you know, demon incarnate to one spot. Having that escorted NPC slowly over time prove that they're not to be trusted and have some mass crescendo moment, especially with the demon vibe there. If one night the party's around the campfire and the kid goes missing and everybody goes looking for him, somebody finds him like eating, I don't know, like a raw rabbit somewhere, the kid goes primal, like that's absolutely horrifying. And it changes the vibe of escorting the NPC to outrunning the NPC real quick, you know? And so I do think it's really neat to think that like, Maybe that NPC is even playing the party. Maybe the NPC is escorting them into Badlands or something like that. Like, I don't know. Maybe the, the NPC themselves is the equivalent of, like, a, a proximity-based bomb. And by bringing them to some place under the guise of being escorted through, you know, political dangers uh, to this place, like, maybe the party's basically, like, shoving a nuke on, like, a, on a floor dolly with a sheet over it and they think that it's a bunch of pies under there. You know what I mean? And they're just pushing it right in thinking none the different. They're just concerned with getting paid. Like the idea of escorting the NPC is really neat if you just look at how you can kind of mess with the, the what the players know, you know? Mm-hmm. And slowly over time to give them more information. But okay, I think I'm ready to go into the next section. So let's let's pick our villain. It's another D20 roll. Five. So five, the villain uh, on this one is a giant who is bent on plunder. So that that as a sentence sounds really weird. I don't know why. Like if I were to read that sentence literally anywhere else, giant bent on plunder. That like, doesn't sound like a sentence. oh baby. Like just say, just say that twice, fat. Just giant bent on plunder. Giant bent on plunder. Like that that. That's, those aren't words. But anyway. Yeah, you walk into the cave and you see a giant bent on plunder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, that, no. This is getting dark. Why are we escorting the NPC here? But, um... Oh, okay. So this is interesting because... I mean, we're starting off with the idea that this is a villain, right? Mm-hmm. So clearly it can't be a giant who is like... A, I think storm giants have a pretty good percentage of being good. So it's like, they're probably not the ones who are bent on plundering. I mean, maybe they are. You know, it's like the idea of having gold dragons who are evil and steal things from people and are, like, really miserly. It it happens. But, um, I don't know. What giants come to mind when you hear that? I'd say... Do you know much about giants? Or are they kind of... No, I do. I have a vague understanding. I'd say, um, hill giants would be the the go-to here for low-level... Uh, play just because they're dumb enough, but they also enjoy, you know, eating things, and plunder will bring them the ability to do that. Uh, <laughs> That's quite true. That reminds me a lot of Warhammer ogres. Mm. The fact that they worship just like a giant hungry mouth, and chefs are their priests, and they just roam around feeding themselves, and like that's all they ever do. Fucking love that shit. I think it's stone giants as well. The ones that like plunder. Well, stone giants are the ones that are kind of, like, aloof, and they're kind of, like, in their own No, world. yeah, you're right. It... Fire giants can be that way about... They're, I mean, honestly, I always feel like fire giants are just an excuse to have a really big-ass dwarf just yeah. running around with fire hair. 
But, I mean, don't forget, giant also implies things like trolls and ogres and verbeegs and stuff like that. Uh, verbeegs, I think, are one of my like favorite monsters that don't get anywhere near enough attention. I know in The Legend of Driss they talked about them a little bit. There was a section in one of the books um, where verbeegs were pretty important. But they're basically smaller than hill giants, but like definitely too big to be humans. But they're just even dumber than hill giants. They're just like really, really dumb and really, really mean. And I just like the idea of like a hill-bound or mountain-bound like literal gang of verbeegs that are just led by some giant of some kind. Maybe like a hyper-intelligent troll, or maybe a hill giant of sorts, or maybe like a stone giant who for some reason is bent on some kind of plunder, I guess that that's the, that's the word we're using. But yeah, so I mean, but how do we tie this? Well, actually, sorry, no. We'll, we'll finish up coming up with a villain. Well, maybe not. How does this tie into our main storyline of escorting an NPC? Hmm. No. See what I mean? The idea of it being bent on plunder almost feels like the the villain is hitting certain locations, rather than preventing them from being plundered on the road. You know? Right. I. I you could even, if you want to introduce one of the more neutral or good giants for this villain, say that he is reclaiming something that, or a lot of things that were taken from him. Or his uh, clan and stuff like that. Like uh, maybe hundred years ago or so, uh, a group of humans and dwarves ransacked an entire giant settlement and just basically took everything they could wholesale. And now the very idea. Yeah, the, this one giant is out there just trying to reclaim what was taken, and mm. so it, to most people, it looks like he's just out there plundering merchant caravans, but. He specifically is looking for exact items that were made by his people. Because then some of the more crafty giant types could be this villain. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of fire giants at that point, making it seem like maybe they had raided some like fire giant forge and they had like taken some mythic crafting set or something like that. Mm-hmm. The idea that like all of the weapons and gold and everything were smithed with like that hammer as like the master tool that made like all the greatest weaponry in the kingdom, all the greatest, you know, armor, all the greatest tools, cutlery, gear, jewelry, whatnot were all made by somebody who worked with that hammer or trained people with that hammer. The idea that that hammer almost stands as like a literary point. It's like being used in the most perverse way that stolen from the people who use the hammer, it is now used to build an entire kingdom of wealth off the backs of those it was stolen from. So what comes to mind for me, uh, kind of piggybacking off your idea, is that what if that giant looks at everything built in the image of that hammer or everything built around that and, like, claims the kingdom? What if that bent-on-plunder part means seizing all of the assets that were made in the image of or made through means of that hammer? And so the giant just steps in and says, I'm in charge now. Like, that's just the speed we're going, guys. Like Yeah, everything that made your kingdom great was built on this the hammer, my of, family's. Yeah. yeah. And so it is rightfully mine, and I can take it whenever I want. Huh. See, I like that, because it takes something like... And this is kind of always, not to get tangential, but something that always kind of fascinated me about the way the World of Warcraft approached the Horde, 
not being bad guys, but being so hung up on sort of like an equally agreeable mentality of like honor. Right. And like that, that, that's, oh my God. Like, I can't even express to you how much I'm glad that they didn't go the good guys, bad guys route. And that's kind of how I feel about this adventure that we're kind of thinking up right now is that the giant would not be greedy about its plundering. It would just have the mentality. These were my tools you built them all using my skills and all my forges and all my stuff. This is rightfully belonging to my people. I'm seizing it because I'm deserving because I'm biggest and strongest. And if you disagree, you can take it from my cold, dead, giant hands. You right. Know? And at that point, even though he's bent on plunder, maybe the person you're protecting is just the high smith of a right. dwarven settlement right and, the, the master smith who's taught like, everybody with all of his apprentices have been picked off by this giant and had their possessions stolen their workshops ruined and thir- certain things taken from them and maybe that's something that like comes up over the part of the adventure is that like this dwarven s- smith seems oddly protective of his tools and stuff like that and you're like oh man especially if nobody makes it a point that that hammer is what the giant's looking for right and it just seems like giants plundering and then you guys are escorting this giant to some mythic location and for like he's not telling you why and he's just saying like listen in that I'm very 500 years old i don't have time way. to discuss yeah. things i'm old i'm senile and he's like well okay i did steal a hammer and a lot of gold, mm. and I started a dwarfish settlement and kingdom out of it. So I might be to blame, but like I'm old, yeah. I'm looking to find a country kitchen buffet, a dungeon kitchen buffet. But um, can we just talk yeah, about see, the cracker see, barrel again? The idea, yeah, right. The uh, uh, critical barrel. Um, <laughs> the idea. <laughs> dang hashtag critical barrel. Anyway, <laughs> but no, I mean, what comes to mind for me about that that's so neat is it goes back into the idea of the untrusting the the sorry the uh, untrustworthy narrator right because especially if that npc is just like what if he's the standing lord of the citadel and that dwarf is just like listen i'm in charge here but i gotta get out of here i have to talk to somebody about our plans for how we're going to strike back the giants but what if he doesn't even want to go to the elven structure like what if he like just needs to get out of these lands needs some like bodyguards to help get him out of here sneak him out of there and then once he's out of there like he just makes a run for it and they're like, uh, excuse me, old grandpa man, like where like maybe again, they wake up in the morning and he's nowhere to be found. But because he's so old and codgerish, like he tried to get away, but he's doing a terrible job and you have to save him from some monster or something. And then when you ask him like why he did it, you know, he can lie about it and say, I don't know where I am or like maybe they see right through it and they find out he's like super guilty of something and he's trying to outrun his conscience, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that's really interesting. Not to mention what's beautiful about a game like this. I mean, we haven't even reached the other notes of how to make this game, but already we're on to what I think makes really memorable adventures, and that is like sort of the moral imperative and that challenge there, where it's like, I mean, does this stuff belong to the giants? Especially if they hear that the clan of dwarves that did it like mercilessly slaughtered the giants and took all their stuff. It's like, I mean, sure, your characters are a part of that settlement and a part of that society, and thus there's some level of bias on who should win and who should lose. But I think a party of really good and thoughtful characters will see that this is not so simple as just like, you know, screw the giants, it's our kingdom now. They'll recognize that an entire group of people have kind of really lost everything that makes them who they are, you know? I mean, and even if they're not good and thoughtful, uh, particularly mercurial and mercenary group will 
come into this, and when they, if they are able to extract that information, when they finally meet the giant, if they do, they can say, well, what's your offer? You know, like that's quite true. But. Especially if that if that hammer is located somewhere else. Mm. So the old man dwarf was on his way to go retrieve that right. hammer. Like he doesn't even have it on him, which is what I was kind of thinking too. Is that the... maybe there is some like big like volcanic eruption or something like that, or like some forge blew out that like at like some super forge and it just overheated. Maybe the water that they were using to cool it like. I don't know, it came to a standstill, so the place got, like, caught on fire, so everybody had to evacuate. Maybe there was, like, I don't know, a cave-in or something like that. So this place is really, like, hard to get into, and the giants just have no idea where it is. But the dwarf knows, but he doesn't know how to get in there and get it safely. Right. You know? The idea that the party, no matter what side they pick to get the hammer for, still has to go to this location that neither party can get to. You know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, so without further ado, would you like to go into the next part? Let's do it. Uh, let's pick our adventurous ally. It's a d12. 11. A disguised monster. Oh. See, that, like, damn. You know, these episodes, I can see why this kind of episode would be cool to keep going with. But a disguised monster. So, okay, I'll let you start this one off. Does anything come to mind immediately? Not specifically the monster, but, like, angles you can take with that. Yeah, so... I'd say either because of all the recent plundering and maybe the loss of uh, his apprentices and advisors and stuff like that, people would have this kind of information. Maybe he's recently taking on, taken on, like, a new kind of right-hand man who just seems, like, is kind of like his caretaker. It's like pretty much hospice at this point well not quite that bad Ooh, that's but neat. but yeah like essentially is it's just he, uh, are you thinking of a succubus no what's what's the um and uh, like the lord of the rings the, the advisor yeah but there's a word for it is Stuart? yes yeah like a Stuart for this dwarf sure and uh, who's very new or maybe ancient maybe he's the one who's been feeding all this information to the giant all along and he's Ooh, especially if he told him to like hide the hammer or something like that and he's mm-hmm. just like listen he's like the dwarves have gone too far you got to get rid of that hammer and he's like but the hammer gave us a kingdom he's like listen to me dwarf now, or it could be a completely neutral third party who just is kind of interested to see how this all plays out um, see that's where succubus came to mind too. yeah but the like, idea that the like, idea that it's a monster and an ally meaning that like it has the party's intention. Oh, you know, I completely forgot that it was the ally. Yeah. yeah. So, hmm. some way to play that in while keeping well, that, it that fairly neutral. Well, let's just say this much. An ally doesn't necessarily mean that they're good. They could also run that chaotic, lawful, neutral line. What if that beast just wants wealth for themselves, and they kind of don't care which way the wealth comes from? If the giants get back their hammer and they create a new kingdom over here and they prosper, the monster does just as well no matter what. Same thing if the dwarves get back into power, the monster still prospers. Maybe at one point the monster kind of propositions the party and says, listen, I don't care if you pick the dwarves or the giants. As long as I get a cut of this, as long as I'm the one who gives whatever party the hammer and I get rewarded greatly, they're like, you have my services. And that's a great kind of curveball to throw at the party at any crucial moment is now you know that whoever this is are going to side with whoever they deem will end up with the wealth so 
they could keep being an ally or if things start to go south for you and whoever you decide to side with, they'll could switch teams just like that. And then you have to kind of think which monster would kind of fit that role, which one would be... Yeah, that's the part where I'm having a little bit of trouble. I'm trying to think about super greedy monsters, but... I don't know. I mean, I mean, you always have the classic, just a polymorph dragon, but... That's true. Yeah, and then that's where you get into the concept of power curves, and you're like, is that too high a level of monster? Or maybe not. Maybe, I mean, one monster I've been... I mean, we, we could even say that it's a dragon that's cursed in that he can't use his own power to gain wealth. He has to sustain, or he has to generate wealth through others. So he's... But I mean, it, that's definitely not something I would have thought of. I usually don't try to think of things using something like that, but that that's definitely a good reason. I mean, honestly, as a side note, this is why I like talking about it out loud. Because right. I feel like I come up with ideas you probably weren't thinking of, but like something like that, I have trouble as a DM with like writing outside of a rule system. Like something like that, the idea of cursing somebody like that, I don't think there's actually a genuine rule for that. Oh, whatsoever. yeah, no. But like... That totally works. That makes sense. Especially if the dragon kind of pleads, but also knows, like, it could probably kick the party's ass. But it just knows, like, it couldn't get the money on its own. It can't right. carry the hammer because it's wealth. Right. Like, it can't do that. But it, it still desires that wealth. It, just doesn't right. need part it of wants to get back to having a cave. It wants to get back to... Yeah, so I mean, hell, maybe the place where the hammer was last seen was where the dragon's cave was. Maybe that cave and collapsed its layer, too. And the dragon's like, listen, I just want to get my layer back. So whatever fixes getting that hammer, getting that shit out of there, like that's cool for me too. Personally, I prefer your method on that one, but that that's definitely interesting to think that. I mean, maybe the dragon was working alongside the dwarves. Maybe, maybe the whole dwarvish empire that makes up kind of like the backbone of this kingdom we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. I imagine it being like you know a fair mix of all races, but dwarves make up like the backbone of nobility at the citadel, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. But I'm thinking to myself like, what if in the past couple of years this place has really taken on sort of a flavor of being, I don't know, like a real money-happy place, like a place that's doing a lot of dirty deals and kind of like extorting the other nations around it, or maybe the taxes have all spiked, mm -hmm. and it's like maybe it's all just because of that dragon, you know? Maybe the dragon's got some sort of way of getting in on that sort of stuff. Maybe and somehow just... that influences the giant. Maybe that's how the giants even find out about this place. Yeah. Maybe that dwarf tried to get far away from it, and maybe some coin with the image of the ceremonial hammer printed on the front of the coin ends up in the palms of that fire giant. And this fire giant is just like, of what kingdom? Like, I recognize that damn hammer. Mm. Which kingdom dares have my hammer as their insignia? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's only because they're so economically like explosive right now that those giants even found out about it. Right. You know? So it is cool to think that that dragon would have that kind of effect and be sort of an ally, but also an enemy, and just have this weird sort of, like, yeah. I'm only your friend because I can't afford to not be. And definitely someone who would be closely trusted by the king or the leader in the situation that right. you were guarding and would come along with them and kind of plays it very, very, like innocently and like oh you know he's old and i'm just here to take care of him right. and like but like there are times where like you see something beyond that or like 
There's like yeah, a I mean, even the wisdom that... or cunning there that you wouldn't expect from someone in that kind of position. Sure, not to mention that even Polymorphed, he can't touch the wealth. So it'd be right. kind of funny to know that like never once is he able to carry in. Like he dresses in the most unbelievably modest clothing because that's all he can wear. You know what I mean? Never yeah. carries anything of silver because, I mean, hell, make it a red herring. Like make it so that the thing can't carry silver. Make it seem like a vampire. You know what I mean? Vampiric very, looking. Yeah, that like, would be very cool. And the idea that, like, it never touches silver because that's too much. Maybe it has, like, you know what I mean? Like, play on the fact that, like, there's these weird little, I don't know, impulses that... Or I guess that would be a werewolf, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Because silver... Mm, that's true. Maybe the dragon disappears at certain hours of night. Maybe the guy's like, oh, I'm going to go for a nice little trip in the dark. Yeah. And I'll be back in a little bit. Maybe it's only on nights of the full moon or something like that. Maybe there's a curse based around that. I don't know. I don't know. Just have um, whenever the party, if the party has anything of extreme value on them, like personally, like certain items, weapons, stuff like, like that. You can never hold it and just uh, make it a point. That, but like, like uh, when they wield it in battle or like pull it out or use it in a way, have ever like the more insightful people of the group roll an insight check to sort of see the way he looks at it is right, the fact more than just like, oh, that's impressive that an adventurer has that. It's like a longing for it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A like, longing, a, like, but like, almost like a guilt-ridden, sort of scared, like dangerous longing. Yeah, like... Where he's like taken aback by it, but you can tell there's hunger. And it's like, it reminds me of in the Lord of the Rings, that scene where uh, uh, Mr. Frodo Baggins there, where he's got the, does the weird demon face thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, where Bilbo Baggins does yeah. that, rather. Does the weird, like, thing there. You know what I mean? That mm. kind of attitude about wealth where it's like burns his palm to touch it, but he like so badly just wants to hold gold again. Mm. But um, yeah, I think I'm ready to go into the next part. Um, but I will say uh, we got to do a, an advertisement from one of our sponsors. Take it away. Are you looking to cool down at the local river, the creek, or at the old swimming hole? Well, good news for you, Buster. Try a new refreshing Chug Club. Flavored after your favorite beach accoutrement, we have the lovely Sante Lotion, the refreshing Low Tide, and everyone's favorite Tater Salad. So go ahead, crack open the can, and try yourself a gritty Jud. A Jud with sand on the rim. Jud, get to drinking. And we're back. All right, everybody. We only have a couple more of these things to roll up, so buckle up, stay tuned, and get ready to roll. Ryan, if you do me the service, roll a d20 for us. 13. You know, I got to imagine there's some audience, like, ASMR sort of deal for dice rolling here. Like, I heard you do the 13, but, like, for all you sophisticated ASMR people out there, he rolled in that one on that. And you that's know that, what I feel like your life is like if you're listening to <laughs> ASMR dice rolling. So get it you together, <laughs> pull yourself up by the bootstraps, get on the ball, and take a hard look in the mirror. You know, actually, I don't know which one of these I'd rather pick for the adventure patron. Either the one I just rolled or your thirteen. Thirteen is the deity or a celestial, and number one is a retired adventurer. Hmm. Damn. I don't know which one I think is, is better for that. Because, I mean, again, the adventure patron sort of implies that they're the person who at least is, what, funding it or, or trying to provide, like, assistance to the party, sort of getting them to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I mean, 
a deity or a celestial. I think we had this last time, didn't we? We did. Oh. And I just, if you'd like, we can re-roll it again, or we can just go with retired adventurer. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like it's right to re-roll. Like, yeah, I, maybe I'm weird for this, but in D and D, I feel like. If your die falls off the table, that doesn't count as a roll. If you're rolling before you even say what you're going to do and then you drop it early, that doesn't count either. There's a very specific magical time that you say, I roll for blank, and you throw it and it happens. That's where the dice roll's supposed to be. So go ahead, Ryan. I roll for patron. Don't, don't, okay. Two. You know, you're going to hate me when I say that a one to two was a retirement (laughs) And there it is, folks. All right, well, on that note, um, all right, let's get to it. So, a retired adventurer is the patron of this quest. Now, could it be that maybe the retired adventurer uh, is somebody who sort of summoned the party to come here for the sake of some other quest, and it just so happens that they might have some sort of association with this region as a whole? Maybe they're sort of like a regional hero. You know what I mean? In the DM's guide where they talk about, like, level 1 to 4, you should be heroic for the area. You know what I mean? 5 to 8, you should be yada, yada, yada. Maybe this person is somebody who got one of the characters into adventuring, you know? And they're the person who's like, hey, come visit me. I got some news for you about some other job, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Come for this festival, whatever. And by the time the party reaches there, it's a decimated wasteland. And, you know, the Verbeegs and hill giants and trolls and ogres led by the fire giants have already decimated the place. So only the ad- the retired adventurer can like I don't know they try to go find that guy or gal or whatever and he basically tells them like what happened and what they were talking about. So in a way he's not the patron so much as like the hook, mm-hmm. you know. And just mentions like they kept mentioning a hammer and it's like the master smith maybe he knows something. You know what I mean? And then the party goes out that way or, or you know what I mean? Right. It's hard to imagine that the adventuring patron, the uh, retired adventurer, would be the patron of it. Like, well, it, it makes sense, but you could adventurers, luckily enough, if they're l- lucky or skilled, can retire pretty early on. I mean, a retired adventurer could be a dude in his late thirties who that's true. Adventures, yeah, or like stuff like that. So. Maybe the retired adventurer is the um, current head of the Merchant's Guild, something like that. Someone who has a stake in kind of keeping the commerce flowing, that kind of stuff. Um, And he's the one who sort of, like, puts the feelers out for an adventuring party that can help uh, this uh, person we're escorting, whether it be uh, the Dwarven King or just the Dwarven High Smith, stuff like that, um, is looking for... People who are aren't going to ask a lot of questions because of the money involved, and aren't so skilled that they won't take a job that has this kind of many glaring faults that any like adventurer who knows their stuff would kind of not take. Mm. And that well, that's assuming the party's a level, but even higher level stuff like I mean especially if the party has a bit of renown for themselves this Mm. retired adventurer might have at one point retired uh, sorry uh, like uh, worked with the party or worked uh, quested with the party or something Mm -hmm. like that not to mention the retired adventurer might know like 
oh well these people did this in this region they finished this quest they have some salt to them like let's right. let's hire them they know what they're up to but I do like the idea of having him have some skin in the game of, of getting things back up and running yeah definitely making him like a chaotic neutral kind of thing like maybe at one point he was a rogue some sort of a thief and now he's head of some merchant skill it almost seems like that comes kind of full circle you know what I mean right especially if lately the kingdom has been kind of expanding almost too fast and certain right. things aren't being regulated right. or policed things the way they should the and he's kind of one of those people who filled or created a space for himself in that area where he retired and he realized he could make good money kind of doing the things that most merchants would shy away from but he doesn't because he has the ability to back himself up in those situations so then in that case uh, let's get the adventure introduction so we can see how these things kind of tie back to the rogue uh, merchant leader as well as back to the smith, the king, and all that other jazz. Mm-hmm. So it's a d12 for the adventure introduction. Four. Okay, so a four says the adventurers find a map on a dead body. In addition to the map setting of the adventure, the adventurer's villain wants the map. Now this works out perfectly in my mind because... It's a map of the place that has the hammer that's the volcanic area that sort of collapsed in on itself. And it shows the exact location of that storeroom and all of the ways to get to it. Maybe it has that one hidden entrance besides the couple main ones that everyone knows about that people can get into. So now the adventuring party is the only people who know about this entrance can actually get in that way and so this has a lot of value and importance especially if we make it known how much importance there is like if if maybe there's like notes on some humongous death trap and it just says like the easy way to get around it the party can sort of you know through logic figure out there must be something of huge value behind this vault door that's worth hiding away but everything on this sheet is you know in dwarvish all these runes on here all the markings this place is structured to look like a dwarvish citadel but we can't tell where it is nobody wrote the name of the actual citadel on yeah it. I mean, we don't know where this location is but we sure know how to get into that vault so somebody out there could probably tell the party you know what i mean and I the mean, idea that the villain would know about that same citadel Maybe maybe the dwarves even used the fire giant's furnace. You know, maybe the fire giants right. had to leave and they're coming back to that place. Maybe they forgot where it was. I, I don't. I find that hard to believe. But you know, it maybe the idea is that because I don't like the idea of players having all of the power because it becomes very unpredictable as a DM, like with what they might do next. Like if they decide they're just going to go to that place and find it and go get it themselves, like that kind of throws sand at all of the adventure up to this point. You know, so it feels like. You need to put up some DM life jackets in some places and say the party still doesn't know exactly where the Citadel is. They know exactly where the stuff is inside, but they do not know how to get to that actual location. And maybe only Dwarvish scholars would know, you know? I mean, you could even say um, that the map is sealed with like a wax seal that has the same imprint as all of the currency from that gold hammer or from the Fire Giant's hammer. It sort of has that same exact... uh, insignia on it and when they unfurl it and open it up it says in dwarvish and common that only the um high smith's eyes can reveal the way on this and like it is a map but there's parts that are missing yeah there's a part of me that also felt like it could be written in code and the concept of it being a map doesn't necessarily mean it's like a map map it could be like a written out stage by stage like you know 10 paces to the left 
10 forward, dodge this trap, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but either way, they kind of need to... Well, the party will recognize the insignia from all the currency in the region, and they'll be like, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, the men- direct mention of the High Smith will I mean, kind especially, of... Well, I would even go one step further and say maybe the High Smith has a lineage of, like specially trained smiths who all use the hammer at a certain forge so maybe the youngest adventuring i mean the youngest dwarf smith is the one who's like i don't know gotta go get the hammer or something you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the idea that like their family name has something to do with that hammer so the wax seal insignia is very specifically that family you know what i mean that way when the party finds the letter with that on it they're like hold on that's an undisputable insignia from like one of the most powerful wealthy families in there and it's a treasure map this is big news, do we tell people? You right. know what I mean? And I'd even say that maybe in that family, one of them has been gone missing from one of the raids of the giant and his people. And it turns out that the giant has him hostage because the giant has some understanding that only someone in that family can lead him to the hammer. True. But he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he has one of the pieces, you have one of the pieces... And the person you're escorting has one of the pieces. So even if the party ends up kind of going against the person they're escorting, the fire giant also has a piece they're missing as well. Stuff like that. Mm. No, definitely making sure that the party has to come in contact with at least both of the other parties. Right. But it also makes me think about that, um, that monster that's joined the party in some way. And it makes me think about the fact that, like, well, what if the dwarf took on like a student or something like that maybe that's where the dragon fits into the well no because that yeah because he's cursed for the whole inability to touch wealth well forget me then um let's go on to the adventure climax and see how this all wraps up it's a d12 a two the adventurers chase the villain while dodging obstacles designed to thwart them leading to a final confrontation in or outside of the villain's refuge Hmm. Well, maybe the, the the giant actually gets the hammer somehow. Maybe the giant somehow manages to get the hammer and the final battle takes place. I know it's not going to be at like, you know, uh, to the to the villain's refuge, but maybe like the forges are still hot. And the final battle takes place on, like, this sort of... It makes me think of the World of Warcraft, honestly. Mm. I think about the Dwarvish stronghold there. What was it called again? Iron... Iron Forge? Iron Forge. Yeah, yeah, like, in the inner part where it's, like, the lava's cascading mm-hmm. down as the big smithing spot. I think about that. And, like, what if the giant grabs the hammer from wherever it's hidden and then just, like, books it and, like, a bunch of giants come out from all these hiding places or whatever and the party has to fight their way to go get that hammer from the giant but by the time they get there the giant's already waiting in like the master forge and he basically is armed with the hammer in the home of the forge maybe he can control the fire maybe lava starts spurting out of places Mm -hmm. maybe you know what i mean maybe the thunderous hammer grows in his hand because he was supposed to have it you know what i mean i mean the ancient dwarven safeguards put in place respond to whoever's wielding the hammer exactly and And the idea that this becomes some big boss battle because he finally and he knew to go to that room specifically then you can start designing layer actions around that kind of stuff which which, i somebody told i i remember i think it was captain courageous which i'm gonna i'm gonna plug him because i haven't done that yet uh his youtube channel is c-a-p-t uh c-o-r-a-j-u-s i believe captain courageous but he's, he's wicked cool, and he does a lot of reviews for additions, modules, but 
he one time, I think it was him, I swear it was him, and if it's not, then like, oops, my bad. Um, but one of those guys mentioned that if you're playing 5th edition, all things considered anywhere near a boss should have legendary actions. Yes, because absolutely. Because 5th edition is just so unbelievably in favor of players that I think even though Fire Giants don't get legendary actions, give him his layer actions, give him legendary actions... Right. And really build that up that that hammer made it back to where it belonged. And this works either way because... Oh yeah, if the dwarf gets it, it's yeah. the exact same combat. Yep, and you're working with the fire giant, but either way... Ooh, ooh, the fact that the hammer could be the reason why obstacles come to life. Right, Maybe all that's what I'm saying, they respond to whoever's holding. Because yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, that that's really neat. Like all the statues come to life and start to fight the party on the way there. Because you could have had a combat with the fire giant previous and all or of a sudden the dwarf. or the dwarf depending on whichever way the party goes and all of a sudden you're realizing he didn't have these abilities before and like it suddenly becomes clear how important that hammer is definitely it also gives I and mean, i think any good adventure should end on a note where there's sort of a moral dilemma or there's something that challenges the players and they have to think like do i give this to this person what do i do with this now that i have it like let's just say it was the giant that the party goes and fights and kills and finally they got the hammer, and the dwarf sort of, with hand outreach, is like, okay, I'm so glad you guys did that. Now hand it over. Do they want to hand it over? This seems like kind of a, I don't know, like a, an annoyance. Like, this seems like something that's kind of, I don't know, dangerous to have by anybody's standards. You right. know what I mean? It's caused so much trouble now. Do the party throw it in the forge? You know? Do they keep it for themselves? Do they offer it to that guy? You know? It's hard to say, but I think any good what adventure you do is you should have that. Bonk the dragon, break his curse, he kills everyone but you, problem solved. Yeah, that is pretty interesting to think about, too. What if the what does the dragon do now, That uh, the ally of the party? like? Do they just like acknowledge that now they're homies with the dragon? Maybe there is something of a curse that can be lifted by... Yeah, I mean... Well, that, that's, that, that's hard to figure out how to do that. Yeah, if somehow your MPs or your PCs end up coming to terms with both the giant and the dwarf and making peace among them you always have that throwaway i guess we'll just have to figure out how to lift that dragon curse dm power and the dragon gets the hammer and at that point you kind of have to wonder does he stick around in his current form does he imbue the hammer with like a life of its own something like that where it still ends up in that battle but even if your pcs aren't at a high enough level to take on a full-on ancient dragon well i mean not to mention you could also just segment that dragon to being a friend of the party for later on and maybe the next quest is to alleviate the curse because maybe only the dragon knows how to truly destroy the hammer maybe right. the dragon has a bunch of wealth and he's like you know what you guys seem to be pretty good with this. I need your help with this certain other device. Please help me break this. And that that would be really cool too, especially yeah, because it's a questionable ally for the party to have, but it's one that offers I don't know a lot of texture. But um, I think we've rambled on far enough about this. I think this one was really good. I'm kind of surprised how well these work out for him. Yeah, I think they. If you're willing to look at it and kind of spitball, I think it really like even if you don't have like, you don't you're not comfortable discussing it with someone in your party because you'll feel like they'll meta metagame if you can find like anyone else to kind of like spitball <laughs> these ideas with you will get really rich results because like it just helps to have someone to bounce ideas off of and then even if you don't you can still come up with some really good 
adventuring hooks and stuff like that from these tables. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to give a quick shout out to two things. One of them to Sarah for being the person who listens to me blather on about everything when I come up with ideas for D&D. Uh, but two, I firmly believe that anytime you want to come up with a really good idea as a DM for your storyline, go on a walk, go on a hike, take a nice gentle pace and just let yourself think and just listen to nothingness. Nobody ever came up with a great idea sitting down. Just go for a nice walk, think about it, listen to inspirational music or whatever, and just, like, lose yourself in the idea of what you could possibly do for a game, you know? So, uh, I already plugged Captain Courageous, but uh, I will plug him again. I'll say go check him out. Go check out the old Grognard podcast, Radio Grognard, that is. Um, Yeah, that's it about it for me. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I'll plug... I think his name is Rune Smith on YouTube. He does uh, the basically blank for monsters as well as some other videos for D&D players that I find pretty interesting. Uh, his Giants video was pretty helpful for this one, especially even though I kind of flubbed some knowledge on my own, but I think we got on the right track. I oh, like yeah, his stuff just... a lot. Yeah. So um, check him out. Uh, don't forget that Spring and Teenage Witch is still going strong on Netflix, season two. Oh, and be sure to sign up for my uh, petition. Um, I am getting Sabrina the Teenage Witch banned. Uh, I'm removing it from the socio space that is life. Uh, yeah, anything else, Ryan? Hmm. No, no, no. I think that's it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you gathered a lot from this and expect a quest workshop number three sometime in the near future. Uh, DMs, appreciate your players. Players, appreciate your DMs. Go roll a d20 or something and uh, have a good night. want to give a big thank you to our friend Kevin McLeod for... Providing the song Surf Shimmy.